Welcome to Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes. Well, good morning and welcome to Episode 72, Understanding the Law Week in Review. I want to remind everybody, if you want to join today's conversation, talk about some of the stories that we're going to be discussing, please call in 347-855-8831. We'll get you on. Uh, Also, don't forget to uh, tweet me and uh, visit our our various variety of social media pages. Leave your comments, ask your questions. Um, That's the purpose of this show. We go through the news and we want to hear from you guys so that we can help you better understand the law. Good morning, Bob. Hey, how are we today, Peter? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. How are you? <laughs> For a Monday, not bad. I say just um, rested and ready again. You know, you get you need those two days to kind of recharge. And and uh, I don't know what would ever happen, even with summer vacation and small children, if they went to school year round, how bad it could possibly be. But <laughs> yeah, I think they need they need that summer to recharge. And there's other, not that it has anything to do with what we're going to discuss, but there are forces in the works that. Hey, maybe we should send these kids to school year-round. It's like, ah, I'm not for it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not for the fact that I have to work year-round, Bob. <laughs> and I really think work like, uh, I should take be, those three months off. <laughs> yeah, it should be a mandatory three-day weekend. It's just the way it should be. I mean, like, That's what not that, a bad idea. Would that really screw up the world if we added one more day? You know, no? generally it seems that uh, Fridays people are uh, – are usually off the clock anyway. Yeah, but see, if we added a day, then they work on Friday, and then we'll come up with another day, you know, like a <laughs> fun day or something different to add on to the weekend. Yeah, yeah just, just add, a, add a third day in there. <laughs> it may or Saturday. may not screw up the, the uh, lunar cycle. <laughs> I, I know, it's a bit of a problem. But Saturday, you know, you run around and you do errands because you were so busy during the week between – you know, I'm working, my wife's taking care of the kids, and then Saturday's shot. So it, you just need one more day. I'm going to work oh, on that. I'm going to start <laughs> writing to my state legislator. There you go. We had, uh, I think we had a, a teacher in high school used to call uh, particular days mustard and ketchup day. That's the day we just went through and caught up on everything we needed to discuss. Ketchup day is good. There you go. So, uh, businesses, uh, service businesses have to remain open so that people can get things done. But then they're, of course, going to be in the way. <laughs> Can't so, wait for losing, but I, 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 I'm for the three-day weekend. <laughs> all right, excellent. Over the weekend, we, um, we're always looking for someplace to eat because, especially in the summer, I don't know, my wife doesn't like turning on the oven, and, uh, yeah, it gets hot. and So we're always looking for someplace to eat. So we found this little Mexican restaurant that everybody had been talking about, and it was supposed to be really authentic and really great. And so we, we went in, and... You know, we've got three three kids. One of them, he's going to be three in August, but he's still little. 
And you can't have a kid sitting down with no food in front of them for, you know, an hour and a half and expect them to be no. quiet. <laughs> no. So, I mean, this place was a small place. It was a small business. Maybe, maybe there were 30 tables in the whole restaurant. Maybe. So it's not some big chain. And, you know, we go in, we sit down, and by the time the guy came over to take our drink order, like 20 minutes had elapsed. But I was, I was in a reasonably good mood, and I said to my wife, well, let's just stay. Everybody says it's really good. Long story short, it took an hour and a half, and at the hour and a half mark, they had only brought out appetizers and no drink refills. My kids were going off the wall. The iPad battery died. Somebody ran out or dropped their DS, and it broke. It was just a nightmare. So, oh, man. When, when the guy came over, and there's a point to this story, so bear with me. When the guy came <laughs> over, I swear, um, you know, I said to him, look, is there any way that you can speed this up? And I had to call the, the, another waiter to get our waiter over, and he was so nasty. And he said to me, yeah, I was giving you time in between courses. I said, well, you know, an hour and a half is quite sufficient. I'm now not full. I'm not, not hungry anymore. Uh, can we pack up and go? <laughs> So he was so nasty, I mean, really nasty. He was like, well, you know, you probably didn't need to eat the dinner anyway. And like, really, that kind of abusive. Oh! So, yeah. <laughs> so I went home, and I'm not a big fan of posting reviews. I like to read the reviews, but I don't like to post them. Right, but right, right. I downloaded the old Yelp app, and I <laughs> let them have it. And then <laughs> the course of doing that, I started reading a lot of, of stuff that I've um, kind of put to the side in the past few weeks about Yelp. And, you know, it's really kind of interesting what's going on. So for those of you that don't know, Yelp is a service that you go and you post reviews about primarily restaurants. And you can read other people's comments. You can leave your own comment. Um, at one point, you were able to leave anonymous comments. Now I think you have to register. I did. And it's a really, yeah, I think so, but it's a, it's, I personally think it's a nice thing because there are so many restaurants and food's not cheap, so it's nice to know that you're going to a place where they've got quality food, quality service. There's a ton of lawsuits out there against either against Yelp as the company or businesses trying to sue individuals posting on Yelp or businesses suing Yelp all because of the posts that are on, on the Yelp site. And more than any other, you know, really, more than any other review site that I've seen, Yelp is the one that's really being targeted now. And, um, you know, people are saying defamation. Uh, you've, uh, you've ruined our business because you're talking about our service. Some of the people might have legitimate gripes because there'll be anonymous posts and they'll say really bad things about the restaurant. Um, sure. And you know their position is well Yelp you have to screen it and make sure that it's legitimate but I, I don't know I, I think that that's getting close to um, you know shortening or, or, or uh, defeating my First Amendment rights to tell people that I went to this place and the guy was really nasty and you know it's the truth so why wouldn't I put that up there what do you think well the other side of that coin the, the um, at what point are restaurants going to figure out that uh, hey you know what I better do some preemptive marketing in making sure that they alert customers, hey, I'm glad you had a great experience. 
here's a card or here's a reminder, why don't you jump up, find us on Yelp and put up a positive review. Tell everybody about your, you know, because you're, you're absolutely right with the First Amendment. Hey, it's, <laughs> it's what happened. You know, at least that's my version. Prove it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're saying, well, Yelp has deep, deep pockets. So let's sue Yelp and say that sure. they don't have proper screening procedures and they're allowing people to anonymously defame, you know, hardworking businesses. I, I think that's a hard sell. But, you know, something that uh, I, I read this weekend there is there or there's a company that put into its contract with the consumers that there would be a $500 fine issued by the company for every negative review that was posted i saw that yeah i saw that same it was for a uh, was it a banquet facility or it was something to do with a wedding wasn't it a wedding yeah, planner yeah, it was or something, or yep. something yeah, yeah, I saw that same article, and, thought, and then they claimed it was a joke. It was just a joke. Yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody took what thought it was very funny. Now, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you throw everything up against the wall, see what sticks, and, and so legally they thought that that was a good idea. You know, the thing is, though, that with those sorts of warnings and contracts and um, disclaimers in, 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 in product packaging, there are a large number of people that will look at something and say, oh, well, you know, there's a fine here if I post anything, so I'm just not going to do it. And they don't challenge right. it, and they don't, because they don't, they don't want to be hit with the possibility of a fine. Or, well, what if they do sue me? What if they do come after me? Now I have to defend that. So it's easier not to do anything. That's why some of these companies do it, but it's not right. Sure. Not right. Sure. No, yeah. That's well. And it, what, what kind of bonus do I get if I leave a positive review? If you're going to bribe me. Yeah. Bribe me positively. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the problem. If you're not allowing honesty, though, in your review, then you're going to get fake reviews on the positive end. To It's just, I don't know. I think review sites are really great, Amazon in particular. But, you know, you can always tell when somebody's leaving a fake review because it just doesn't read right. You know, it's I, like, oh, I was looking for something, and this product was the best ever. Best ever. You know, and a lot of exclamation <laughs> points. You like that? Come on. Well, and, and quite honestly, there are a lot of and people consumers don't realize this because they're not behind the curtain. Where I have a studio, I I produce videos, I produce audio. Um, uh, there are a lot of companies out there that solicit likes on Facebook, that solicit views on YouTube, that solicit um, uh, testimonials that aren't necessarily true. Yeah, the, the 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 market is out there, and that's the unfortunate side. Is you have less than scrupulous business people that look to try to basically extort or uh, fictitiously pump themselves up to try yeah. to win business, <laughs> and then then of course get mad when <laughs> that doesn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, and you know what though, um, there's there's a lot of, of of legal implications for doing something like fake reviews. Um, the the government right now is looking very closely at the fake review sites from a consumer pro uh, consumer protection standpoint. Oh, sure. You know, and, and so there's laws out there that, or, or at least guidelines, that talk about what happens, what could potentially happen if you're posting fake reviews, because it really is the equivalent of fraud or misrepresentation on the consumer. So sure. there's th there's that element of it. It might be difficult to prove, but not impossible. 
And then what you were talking about, you know, you go on sites like uh, Fiverr or, you know, a host of other sites. Sometimes you just get those the solicitations in your, your inbox. There are a ton of people that will post fake likes and reviews all over the world. You know, but people know because when you go through, um, you know, perhaps some of the likes or, or followers that people have, and uh, 90% of them are coming from South Korea, you know, chances <laughs> are <laughs> something's not done right there. So, yeah, but, you know, it, they all say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, it hurts you. It really does because um, yeah. my, my discussions with um, SEO people, say that those sorts of reviews actually drive um, your, your placement in, in Google and other search engines down. So it's not oh. really a good idea. Well, I guess we'll but find out how good their lobby is if, they, if the CPA or the, uh, starts to the Consumer Protection Agency gets involved. Yeah, you know, the flip side to all of this, though, I talked to somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody we had on the Thursday show, and, um, well, I think I know who it is, but... I won't remind people, just in case, since we're talking negatively about uh, <laughs> fake ads. Sure. But it, she had she had said to me, um, "Well, yeah, I get it, and it's it's fake, and it's not right. Uh, but sometimes you you have to have people on your Facebook page in order to get other people, real people, to it. If I have no likes on my Facebook page, why is anybody going to go and like it? So sure. I understand that." But at the same time, I think you have to really be careful, especially right yeah. now. Right now. Yeah, so. No, bottom, bottom line is I think you're going to be finding a new Mexican restaurant in town. Oh, absolutely. And uh, or I'll be good <laughs> for posting something on Yelp. But I swear it was the truth. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I think I'll wait and see how the court, what the courts decide. <laughs> And with that, let's see how the courts decided this past week. Uh, the Third Circuit Court siding with a dad in parental rights case. Federal civil rights suit over termination of a father's parental rights was wrongly dismissed based on the outcome of a related state court case. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Court has ruled. The district court analysis focused on whether or not the circuit court suit was inextricably intertwined with proceedings in Bergen County Superior Court where Dennis Mazzetti's parental rights were terminated. Now, this case is a mess. Plaintiff Dennis, Dennis Mazzetti filed suit against the New Jersey Division of Child Protection and uh, Permanency, its director, and everybody else involved in the case. After the birth of Mazzetti's son, we'll refer to him as DM, in 2007, the child and his mother, referred to as CM, both tested positive for cocaine. According to the opinion, CM voluntarily surrendered her rights to the child, and DCPP brought a suit to terminate Mazzetti's rights as well. The state's petition was granted after a five-day trial, and his mother, Linda, was given custody. When the child was born, CM was married to Mazzetti's identical twin brother. Nice. The two were separated, and CM, the mother, was open about her relationship with the plaintiff, Dennis Mazzetti, according to court papers. Mazzetti was listed as the child's, birth or the child's father on this birth certificate, but state officials refused to believe he was the actual father of the child. The suit claims a DNA test conducted at the state's request was inconclusive, obviously because the plaintiff and his brother are identical twins. The state terminated Mazzetti's permanent, or excuse me, parental rights after he refused to submit to drug testing on multiple occasions, although he claimed he had a medical condition that made him unable to give a urine sample. 
In August what of 2012, he filed that suit. Be, Bob? Yeah, that, that, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this case is a mess. Um, it, it's a nightmare, I'm sure, if you start to look at things. Um, he filed federal suit, though, and he's looking for $10 million in <laughs> compensatory damage and $50 million in punitive damages. I mean, this guy is all over the place, but the court... Judge, uh, District Judge Catherine Hayden granted the defendant's motion for dismissal based on several <laughs> different reasons, but the biggest was the inextricably intertwined ruling with the state proceeding. They reinstated the suit. Uh, <laughs> from the, They pulled him away from the one suit, reinstated another, and except for a couple of the defendants, uh, which were entitled to absolute immunity. This guy has got a mess in his hands, but uh, aside from that... Uh, this this is probably the worst case scenario in any kind of parental rights suit, I'd have to believe, this side of uh, convicted murder. But in the real world, this, this has been an issue with with uh, with fathers and parental rights. And yeah, uh, right. you know what's what's the, what's the you know when you start to look at how bad this case is, does the state get to trump this guy's imperfection? Well, you know it's uh, it's interesting on multiple levels because. And we'll talk about it separately. First, you've got the issue of parental rights. And I think everybody knows or believes, whether it's true or not, that uh, if you've got a custody issue, the mother always wins. That's the perception. It's the general perception. Yes. And, Is and it the perception extent, because it's been the fact? Yeah, yeah. It, to an extent, it's true. Um, you know, obviously, the test across the country is always best interest of the child test. And oftentimes... Um, I think it, it, it stemmed from the fact that, that in um, the 50s and 60s and 70s, maybe even into the 80s, uh, women and the workforce were, were not um, you know, something that you, you would hear often. It was primarily the man worked full-time, the woman was the homemaker, and so uh, the child would always be uh, better off with the mother who could take care, and then the father could just pay the bills kind of thing. Uh, most sure. courts favor joint custody. That's, the, that's the, the, the gold standard. That's what they're trying to achieve, joint custody. And in instances where things are bad for the kid, that's when they're going to start looking at custody for one or the other, and it always seems to come down to the mother wins. Um, I think that, you know, it's there. I think that to say the mother doesn't, quote-unquote, always win is probably misleading. Uh, I can't tell you exactly why. I have my own theories. But uh, the fact is that if you're going to go to court and you're going to lay your cards on the table, just because you're a father, I don't think you should go in with the thought of, well, I've got no shot because I'm not his, his they're the kid's mother. I think that if you've got the right legal team and you've got things in order, in other words, you're not using drugs, you're not, um, you know, you have no place to live. Because that's, that's what I see a lot of. I see fathers who have unstable living situations. Sure. And they're seeking sole custody simply to frustrate the mother, the ex-wife. So... Yeah, and then it starts to become more about spite than anything, and then the kids get in yeah. the middle, then it gets disgustingly ugly. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had, uh, our, our family law department has taken in a number of cases recently where 
um, a mother is looking to get sole custody. But in most of those cases, the mother's seeking sole custody primarily because the ex-husband either has a girlfriend or multiple girlfriends. Um, he ignores the kid, doesn't pick them up when he's supposed to, never pays what he's supposed to pay in child support or alimony. And so, you know, I think it, it um, I don't know, I think it's almost easier in a sense. I and mean, we're, both, we're both men, but I think that to an extent that a lot of men find it easier to walk away from their child than a mother would, if that makes sense. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely uh, right, Garen. And I'm sure that has, that's, I mean, there's a physiological, um, yeah. um, that drives the psycholo- psychological attachment that makes that more difficult for the mother. And that's why they've always said, you've got to prove she's an unfit mother in order to right. get custody. And I don't know if that's always true. Right. You know, I mean, I, as, as a parent myself, I mean, I, I've got a different take. I'm not talking about people like you or me. I'm talking about, um, you know, other, other people that encounter other circumstances Oftentimes you see this occurring in um, situations where maybe a girl gets pregnant young and they get married, you know, one of the old shotgun weddings, and then the the guy bolts and, you know, there's no one to pay the bills. And then at some point he gets mad over something and he wants sole custody. But, you know, general rule is you join custody. It's very difficult to to move into sole custody. But the other issue that's that's important uh, in the case that we're talking about is this motion to dismiss status. And I think that people get really confused, and it's something that I want to just touch on very briefly. A motion to dismiss is generally something that is filed at the early stages of a case, and, and most often than not, it is filed as a result of a technical deficiency or a failure to state a cause of action in a complaint. But what people don't understand is that I, I want to say somewhere around 85% of motions to dismiss throughout the country do not result in a dismissal of a case. It sounds like a motion to dismiss is going to do just that, dismiss your case. But it's not always um, that way. And so a motion to dismiss is going to look at certain issues, failures in the, in the, in the pleadings to uh, properly lay out your cause of action. So, for example, in certain type cases, you have to plead certain things. So if it's fraud, you've got to be able to plead um, intent. If it's a consumer fraud act, you've got to be able to prove or plead, not prove, plead, ascertainable loss, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, a motion to dismiss is not going to necessarily dismiss your case. It can, but oftentimes what happens is it's dismissed without prejudice, meaning you can refile and then you can remedy the pleading um, and then move on from there. Now, unfortunately, it looks like we've lost Bob. Oh, maybe Bob's back. Let's see. Yeah, that was Bob, are, you, are you back? <laughs> I am. Are you taking that extra weekend day already? I haven't even tried to pass that bill. So it was, it was an emergency injunction that was uh, yeah. <laughs> granted. He's like, oh my god, he's going to talk about the law again. Let me uh, let me put him on a hold. more hours. <laughs> uh, Technology is a wonderful thing until it stops working. I hear you. Uh, all right, you, and you have to understand where I live to understand all of our technological challenges out here. <laughs> well, you're back. CS yeah. is over. <laughs> well. 
Oh, are we still? Uh, have we yeah, wrapped up uh, Mr. Mazzetti's issues? Yeah, we're, we're done. I, I solved it all. It's over. <laughs> it's all, you know what? They just call you in the first place. That's right. <laughs> it's a done deal. Well, that's right. <laughs> Disney's going to start calling you pretty quick. They're in the news every week, it seems like. Uh, an animator is suing Disney, claiming that Frozen's trailer, the very popular movie Frozen, is copyright infringement. According to WD, WDWinfo.com, which is Walt Disney World Info.com, Disney is being sued for copyright infringement by animator Carrie Wilson who is complaining the company copied her work. One of the trailers for the hit animated film, Frozen, is quite similar to Wilson's two-dimensional computer-animated short, The Snowman, which you can find on YouTube. The lawsuit has already been through the first round in the courts. California federal judge Vince Cabrera said in his ruling that the sequence of events in both works from start to finish is too parallel to conclude that no reasonable juror could find the works substantially similar. The judge did dismiss the idea that the full film was an infringement of Wilson's short. The case will likely go to trial if it's not settled. So have you watched these, Peter? Well, I want to tell you this, and, and maybe I should be quiet if you has. I don't want to be sued for trademark infringement, but I was sitting in the parking lot of an office supply store while my wife was trying to get my kids' school supplies, and out of boredom I came up with the song, Do You Want to Melt a Snowman? And I have the whole thing break down. I mean, if I was, if I was decent, I'd sing, I'd sing it for you, but I won't. But I, I've got the whole song ready. So There you go. Well, well you know, this, so, this, so you haven't seen this yet. Well, I haven't seen Frozen. I know about it, and um, um, I'm a Disney fan, so I, I kind of follow what goes on at Disney while I'm up here in New Jersey. And yeah. I've seen, you know, the massive craze for Frozen and the lines and all that stuff. But... You know what's interesting about this is is that um, if you get if you're a Netflix subscriber, when a, a major motion picture is coming out, you see a release of something substantially similar on Netflix. And you know I'm trying to think of one uh, that I saw recently, but like for example, when um, the the second 300 came out. Um, oh, movie about Sparta, right? The second one came out, and right before the release of, of the second 300, there was something that looked so similar that came out on Netflix, and it was all about the um, you know the Greeks and the naval battle because that's what the second movie was about, and it had a, a, a different name. Um, when when Thor, when Marvel's <laughs> Thor came out, there was one that was like you know. Uh, Thor, Odin's son, and it was a cheesy B-movie, but it was released right before Thor came out. And you know that sure. these companies are doing this because I think, I think personally that they're, they're trying to deceive uh, viewers and, and hoping that someone will pick it up or uh, have an interest in it. Some of them are planned to kind of piggyback off of the major motion picture event. But in this case... This um, this suit, well, there's, there's so many suits going on with Frozen right now. There's the copyright infringement claim, but then there's this trademark infringement claim as well. And the trademark infringement claim is generated off of a movie that was released. Um, it was called, like, Frozen Ice World or something so, so close 
to what Frozen is with the same type characters. And, um, you know, they're, they're suing for this infringement. Here's how it comes down. The Lanham Act, which is the, the law that protects uh, trademarks and copyrights in the U.S., it really protects against um, those people who are, are pushing goods or products or movies that are substantially similar, that have the ability to confuse or intentionally sort of mislead or confuse um, a consumer. And really what you've, you've got to be able to prove here is that it was, or, well, A, you own the mark, right? So Disney has to say we own the mark, and clearly they own the frozen mark. Uh, right. B, that this item, this product, this movie, whatever it might be, is substantially similar. And then C, that it is either intended or has the possibility, the high probability of confusion among consumers, and then they're going to win that claim. And there's generally only two defenses to these types type of claims. One is fair use, right? So um, fair use doctrine, uh, I'm using it for education, or you've seen a lot of, you, you know, you in the music industry, you've got a ton of, of fair use music bits that you can use, and it's not protected. So right. fair use is one of them. And then the other one is collateral use. So collateral use is, if you're shooting a movie, and, and we're not talking product placement, but your character happens to be drinking a Coke, and it's not a, a sponsored product placement um, thing. It's just he's drinking a Coke, and you use that scene in the movie. That's collateral use, and you know, you're not going to get Coca-Cola saying, well, I'm going to sue you because you, you violated my trademark <laughs> by putting Coke in a movie. Right, they're yeah, they're going to thank you for marketing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those are the only two, two defenses that really work. And in this case, first of all, Disney is such a massive powerhouse, both from a legal end, from um, the corporate end. So I think what's going to happen is, is very quickly, you're either going to have this company, because um, they want the destruction of all these DVDs. I, I think you're going to see it. Um, and then, oh. of course, they're looking for, for damages, compensatory damages, uh, damages for lost profit. With Frozen being so popular, I think it's going to be tough to get lost profit out of this. But Disney's going to try. Oh, sure, yeah. No, and it's, it's kind of comical because the, uh, the, uh, the judge is citing eight different points in just the trailer. Uh, yeah. Between the two that are similar, so it's uh, we'll see how <laughs> how Miss Wilson does against the behemoth of Disney and their legend. Obviously, this I, I as you would probably say this won't see the light of day in the courtroom. No, I, I don't think so at all. You know, a few years ago we had a client <laughs> that um, had some uh, contracts out with Disney. They were putting in um, dis futuristic display kitchens in the Epcot uh, uh, pavilion. And we negotiated with the Disney team, the Disney lawyers, and it was probably the easiest negotiations I ever had because the answer was no. Uh, you either want to be here <laughs> under our terms or you don't. And it's Disney, so what are you going to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they've got a, a very strong presence. They are, are not uh, going to fool around with this. And, you know, you can understand it, um, certainly. But you know what? I have this question for you. What's the difference between Disney saying, 
hey, you guys have to stop selling this movie because it's substantially similar to ours. Now, you know, we're going to just step out of the realm of, of um, trademark for a second. But just sure. look at the public policy fairness issue of it. You're doing something that hurts our reputation. You're putting out this B movie that is using a lot of our same ideas and images. You're hurting our reputation. You have to stop. What's the difference, just to play devil's advocate, between Jesse Ventura saying, you said I was a wimp and that I got knocked out and you, know, you beat me up in a fight, and that's not true, and that's hurting my reputation. People aren't going to yell at Disney, but everyone's going to yell at Jesse Ventura. Yes, and I, I, it would have to be what the, yeah, what the public image of Disney is. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. because when you separate, you know, we're not talking about defamation or, or trademark infringement. Just talk about the public policy issue of it, the way that the, the general public perceives it. They're going to say, well, you know, Disney came up with Frozen. They should have the right to protect their reputation. But then, you know, flip side, well, Jesse Ventura says that this didn't happen. And, in fact, it didn't happen. But everyone's down on him. But isn't he doing the same thing Disney's doing? I guess people just don't like Jesse. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's never a winner, that's for sure. Never. <laughs> and there's no winners in a caregiver case uh, that uh, claims injury, according to courthousenews.com. Alzheimer's patients and their families cannot be held liable for injuries caused to in-home caregivers. A divided California Supreme Court held Monday. Carolyn Gregory sued Lorraine Cott, who is an Alzheimer's patient, and her husband Bernard after being cut with a kitchen knife while trying to restrain Lorraine, the patient. A trial court dismissed Gregory's negligence uh, premises liability and battery claims before trial, and a divided court of appeals agreed that her claims were barred by the assumption of the risk doctrine typically applied to caregivers in institutional settings. Justice Carol Corrigan urged lawmakers to focus on training and enhanced insurance benefits for caregivers of Alzheimer's patients, noting that better workers' compensation benefits should compensate injured caregivers instead of personal injury lawsuits. Amen. In the sharply worded dissent, though, Justice Lawrence Rubin, temporarily assigned to the state's highest court from the 2nd Appellate District, agreed Lorraine was not liable for Gregory's injuries, but her husband bears some responsibility as Lorraine's competent decision-maker. I also noted Gregory's lack of training by the agency and that uh, Koch raised, had raised questions prior to hiring her Then, well, he may have actually knew what risks she was assuming. So the, the battle is here is how much uh, indemnification is there on you as a guardian um, in making choices for people that, uh, that can't make choices for themselves? Well, you know, this whole, this whole thing is very confusing to a lot of people because – the majority of states, and I'm going to talk about the law, so I assume you're going to hang up. Kind of <laughs> uh, I got my finger on the button. <laughs> okay, all right, good. Um, no, uh, most states have exceptions to the workers' compensation laws and uh, don't require caregivers, in-home caregivers, to be provided workers' compensation, whereas if you are going to be bringing in another employee that works at your home, not an in-home caregiver, uh, that you have to provide workers' comp for them. So there's a large number of states that don't mandate workers' comp for in-home care um, workers. So, so, so you're, basically, you're, you're basically saying, it, it, compared to, say, a roofer, if a roofer came to do some work on your home, 
that particular individual need to have workers' compensation insurance. Yeah, and it's, it's, well, it's different because that individual should have his own workers' compensation insurance and their own liability insurance. Whereas, you know, because you're not an employer, you're hiring an independent contractor, but in this realm of caregiver, you are essentially this person's employer, um, and they're working for you. You would, if, if it was not in your home, you would need to provide workers' compensation insurance as a means of, of reducing the risk or possibility of lawsuits. That's why they have workers' comp, so that there's some collectible means and you can eliminate a lot of uh, the lawsuit, or that's what they, you know, thought they would do. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's the hope. But, you know, you're, you're now taking, I mean, imagine you bring in an au pair or someone that you've got living with you, and now you're obligated to provide workers' compensation insurance for them. So that's issue one. Depending upon your state, you may not be required to provide workers' comp. Issue two is these people are either in your home for a large portion of the day, or they are living with you. And so there's got to be some understanding of, of risk, I think. Most states have this very, very archaic, but they still use it, uh, designation between your obligations as a homeowner for or providing for the protection of other people when they come into your property. So there's okay. a licensee, there is a business invitee, and there's a trespasser. So of those three categories, you've got different obligations as a homeowner. So your obligation to a trespasser is very limited. You don't owe a trespasser, and and it's not necessarily an illegal trespasser, just somebody who doesn't have permission to come onto your property. Um, You have to make sure that you don't do anything unreasonable. And this is the majority of states, so we're going to just keep it very general. You have a duty to make sure that there's no unreasonable risk like a giant moat in your property with a dragon and you don't have a warning sign that says fire-breathing dragon, be careful. So, yeah, you always carry signs when you have dragons. That's right, that's right. Or a um, bear trap behind the front door, sure. Yeah, the invisible fence or something for your dragon. Um, <laughs> yes. And then you've got the invitee and you've got the business, um, or the licensee and the business invitee. So the, the two that you're going to deal with most often are the licensee and the business invitee. The business invitee is somebody that you invite onto your property, but there is a benefit that you will derive from that person being there, or that person's going to derive a benefit one way or the other. And then there's the licensee. So the licensee is uh, the neighbor that comes over and says, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Here's a plate of cookies. They are a licensee, and you have less of, um, of a duty, but you have to act reasonably and make sure that um, you know things are reasonably safe. And then there's the business invitee who is there for their own financial gain, their own business benefit, and you have a little bit less of an obligation to look out for and inspect for someone in, in that uh, capacity. So, and I, I don't want to get into too many specifics about it because it does vary from state to state, and I don't want to give somebody some information and then they apply it to their state. Um, but, you know, depending upon what your law is, you either have a heightened responsibility to inspect your premises for defects or you have a limited 
scope or no, no responsibility at all based upon this, this category of person. So this caregiver in New Jersey would be considered a business invitee because they're deriving a benefit, financial benefit from the employment, um, and therefore you, know, you have a little bit less of an obligation to keep your house completely free from the possibility of harm. It's just got to be reasonable. So, and it, it can obviously, obviously get very confusing for someone, especially you consider, you know, gosh, my parents are 76 and 69. And, you know, and that's what you're going to do is you're going you're to deal with these people that, you know, if there's going to be a decision made with my dad or my mom, either one of them needs an in-home care, who, who or what um, uh, service can they employ to know what their exposure and or rights are? Yeah, you know, it's, it's tough, and that's why I think that it's always a good idea if you're going to be doing something like this for, for long-term care that, you know, you just you check with an attorney in your area who has some familiarity with either premises liability or elder care uh, because you do want to kind of have an idea of what risk you're opening yourself up to. Does your homeowner's insurance cover this? Do you have any responsibility um, and that's something that you could, you could sit down with an attorney and just take, take 20 minutes. Um, most, most attorneys who are, are decent people will give you that time and they'll answer those questions. And, uh, then at least you'll know uh, a lot of it is, an, is, is an elder law specialist is an elder law specialist, someone, the, probably the best person to go talk with. If you're dealing with older people, yeah. Uh, an elder law okay. attorney would have or should have the requisite knowledge concerning not just their rights as, as um, you know, elders, but uh, what insurance issues are out there. Uh, the, the key is that with, with any legal questions, look for the lawyer that has work in that particular field. Don't sure. ask a real estate attorney whether or not you should bring an in-home <laughs> care worker because they're not going to know. And you'd be surprised, though, at how many people say, oh, my mom used this lawyer, uh, so I went to him, and, and he lost my personal injury case. And meanwhile, this guy you know, is uh, a, a contract lawyer in the music industry. So really, he has no <laughs> business taking that case. But it happens all sure. the time. But that's something that, that, you know, this is an interesting case because it brings to the forefront the fact that you have risk when you've got somebody in your house. And to what extent do you need to have additional insurance or um, to what extent that you need to make sure that the people you're bringing into your house have their own insurance? Yeah, that's, no, that's a great point. Yeah. And that's where people don't ask the right questions. And, and it, it's always good to get a legal opinion in, in when you're going to that. So you consider what, you, what you're doing before you do it. Um, it's not as easy as going out and getting a job, that's for sure. And then, you know, some people can't even True. do that right. Um, rejected job candidate may actually get to sue Rite Aid, according to uh, courtnews.com, telling us a CVS employee or a former CVS employee may be able to amend a class action suit, which we discussed last week, how to get involved in that or not get involved in it, uh, accusing Rite Aid of using an illegal LexisNexis background check on prospective employees, a federal judge's rule. Kira Moore filed a class action suit against Rite Aid and LexisNexis search solutions on March 22nd of last year, alleging the retailer refused to hire her based on a background check. 
having worked for CVS for four years during an interview with loss prevention at CVS in July of 2010, Moore said she had never stolen from the store but may have set aside some items for per future purchase that were later put back on the shelves or taken by someone. The CBS agent and Moore drafted a handwritten voluntary admission statement, which was then sent to LexisNexis for its use in its esteemed database, thus classifying Moore as a thief. Moore was then sent home and fired, according to the complaint. Now, this is this was something that she didn't she didn't do anything against CBS, as far as we can tell. Well, then she tried to go get a job at Rite Aid. She applied for a supervisor position about a year later. LexisNexis sent her a background check report, scoring her non-competitive. Right Aid then withdrew its offer for employment, and Moore's attorney sent two letters to LexisNexis dated May 23rd and July 28th, disputing the accuracy of the esteemed report. Now, the whole thing is, is whether or not Right Aid and Lexis, right Aid and LexisNexis are in cahoots in trying to, I guess, disqualify employees or prospective employees and whether or not those suits can be made class action. Um, this is something probably that happens more often than not, and this person's case is being, I guess, considered a comparison to a Fair Credit Reporting Act case. And basically, the judge has disqualified one suit but allowed her to amend the suit because she's left out some information. But I think it's a bigger look at, that, that's kind of the nitpicks of the case, but the bigger case you look at is probably happens a lot to people that they don't know client positions and they have a background check done and what their um, I guess what they can do to find out what's going on behind the scenes and right. this 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 can be a mess for people as well and the question is is what avenues do people have to find out what's behind the door when they start replying to different places that use background check services you know we're primarily a business firm, and so we do a lot of, of obvious um, consulting with, with business entities. And it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because there are so many candidates out there for jobs that businesses need to protect their investments. They have to be careful with who they're hiring because whether you're a small company or a large company, your reputation's on the line with uh, the obvious uh, wildfire social media stuff, you know, Twitter, the instantaneous going out and posting something online, uh, being out there, you have to be really careful because you could work hard to build a reputation for yourself and the next thing you know, you've got somebody who is doing something very, very bad and impacting your reputation. So we always, you know, tell employers that on your application, make sure that you indicate that the applicant's going to need to submit to a background check. This is There's so many elements to this. We could have a whole show just about this. Maybe we should consider that at some point. Um, but what's, what's interesting here is this. You can't terminate or not hire somebody on the basis of some discriminatory reason. So whether it's your state's own law against discrimination or it's a federal law, it's illegal, unlawful to refuse to hire someone or to fire someone for discriminatory purposes. Sex, creed, religious preference, you know, any of those things. Um, I think I said the same thing twice, but in different words. Uh, but, you know, disability, age, any of those protected categories, you can't just go and fire somebody because of that. And that's why 
so many companies are so careful when you're dealing with somebody that's in their 60s and you need to let them go. How do you do it? Because we don't want a, a discrimination suit. But, or not hire them because they're older. Exactly. But, but here's the reality of this, okay? From a business standpoint, I get how you have to protect yourself because you do. I'll tell you a story about something that happened to us last week in a second. Um, but you've got to be able to protect yourself. So is there, is there something wrong with doing a background check? And my opinion from a business standpoint is no. You, you do want to be able to rule out possible issues that might arise by an employee being hired and you don't know whether or not they've got a criminal history or something else. But, you know, I understand also the flip side, which is, well, I was accused of stealing and I didn't steal and I wrote this letter and now it's, it's somehow on my record. Um, my cynical viewpoint on this is that there's no way she was putting stuff somewhere when she worked at, uh, at CVS for later purchase. It's just, you know, right. probably thinking, at least thinking about doing something improper. And that's why she wrote the letter. Um, and now, of course, it's impacting her employment. So that's just my cynical business take on it. And I could understand why a company would not want to hire somebody like that. So it's really tricky. But businesses, if they're doing background checks, you know, the stupidest thing to do is to tell your applicant or your employee, we're firing you because we did a background check on you, and here's what we found. Sure. Stupid. Just stupid. 90, 98% of people in this country are at-will employees, meaning no contract. You can fire them. They can quit. There's, there's no need to do anything. Why would you tell somebody, if you are performing a background check and you're going to fire them because of something, why would you tell them? I'm firing you because you're a criminal. It's just like ignorance. The they, they don't yeah. understand that they can just tell people that, hey, we don't need you any longer. Right. So while I'm not saying, you know, go ahead and discriminate against people because that's clearly wrong and something that we would fight against. I don't believe any right. business should be discriminating against somebody. But I'm going to give you a quick example. Uh, I'll give you two examples. This is a case, an actual case that I handled a number of years ago. Um, there was this woman who came over from Nigeria, and she was a medical doctor in Nigeria, came here, couldn't pass the medical boards, and became a, like a nurse's aide at a, a, a medical facility. And she was uh, schizophrenic. And so while she was working, she started to, uh, I guess, reject the medicine, or the medicine needed to be adjusted. So while her husband was away at the National Guard or the Reserves or wherever he was in that weekend, she had a schizophrenic episode. When he returned home, the, you know, all the food in the refrigerator was thrown outside. It was all kinds of crazy. So he took her to a very well-known, very highly regarded medical facility in New Jersey. And a teaching hospital, right? I mean, really upper echelon. So they admit her into this psych ward, and it's this yellow lockdown unit because she was potentially a danger to herself, and they, they strapped her into the bed. So on day two of her admission, an orderly came by to take her blood pressure, and the orderly raped her while she was strapped down to the bed, and she had enough wherewithal to save the sheets. She ripped them off the bed. Uh, as best she could with, with using her feet. 
threw them on the floor, and when her husband came in, she told him what happened and said, save the sheets. So long story short, she gets discharged, she gets her medication back on track, and now she's been raped. So she wants to sue this hospital. So in the course of, and we represented her, um, we don't do a lot of plaintiff's work, but in this case, it was so egregious what had happened. And and here's the best part. This hospital, in their screening procedures, they took in an application from this guy that's orderly, and there's that question on there, have you ever been convicted of a crime? He left it blank. They never (laughs) did a background check. If they had done a background check, they would have found out that this guy had served something like seven or eight years in upstate New York for abuse, uh, assault, assaulting women, attempted rape. Now imagine, you know, you're bringing a guy in to treat patients in a psych ward where these patients are restrained, and you're not going to do a background check. And who are you going to believe if there's ever a situation? I mean, this woman was lucky because she was smart enough to say, let me save the evidence. And, and, I mean, it was, it was conclusive that, yes, he raped her, and also conclusive that this hospital just did not do a good job screening people. So you've got to balance this. Well, do I not screen versus should I screen? And I say, yeah, always screen. Just don't be stupid enough to tell people I'm firing you because, you know, you, you serve time in prison. You're not necessarily right. a protected class if you have been a prisoner or if you've been in jail. It's not a protected class under the law. But... You know, it's enough to, I think, um, to make, make, make some hay over, and, and just don't do that. You don't need to. Then I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you this, what happened to us um, last week. We had an employee, background checked, screened. You name it, we did it because we're that thorough, because we're dealing with, um, you know, important information here. And, sure. uh, and we need to protect it, yeah. <laughs> So we had an employee, it was a low, lower level employee, um, very limited access to anything. So we're very careful when we bring somebody in. And uh, so there was no access to anybody's information or anything like that. She was just a, like a legal assistant helping out. And um, what happened was, without anyone knowing, she took letterhead, wrote a letter for somebody, and then forged an attorney's name on the letter. Oh, jeez. And, and the background check was perfect. Everything was perfect. It was perfect candidate, perfect fit. But, you know, there's uh, nothing you can do as an employer about something like that. So, obviously, no. we, we took all necessary steps. We brought in the authorities, and um, it's being handled. But it's just it goes to show you as an employer that you need to do as much as you can, but even if you do as much as you can, you still can't control these, these independent acts, the, the, the way people think and the way people work. Um, but, you know, in the case of this woman at, at, at CVS, I don't know. I think that she probably did do or plan on doing something improper when she was there. And I can almost understand why Rite Aid wouldn't want to hire her. Absolutely. And, and to her point... You know, like you say, whether she did or she didn't, we don't know, but she wrote the voluntary admission statement, and someone smarter than me once told me, don't put anything in writing you want to defend in court. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's you know, what was, she did. It was most likely a result of either some um, credit issue 
or some some plea deal or uh you know sometimes when you have a possible arrest or conviction or you know, you've got a criminal uh background even if it's a low level criminal background you might get somebody that says oh I, you understand you want a mortgage but you've got to explain this situation that occurred so write a letter and then it's it's on your record um, right. Maybe when she was at CVS, she had to write the letter for CVS. Who knows? But you know, now to come back and say I'm going to sue Rite Aid for this, this is not right. Well, maybe it's not right that they're doing background checks if they haven't told her that they're doing background checks. Maybe that's not right. I don't, I'm, I'm not even saying that that is right. I think that that is certainly something that they should be doing. Um, but I think that... Uh, I don't know. I, I side with Rite Aid here because I, as an employer myself, I would not want to run that risk. I have a duty to the, the customers. And in Rite Aid's case, I think they're a publicly traded company, a, a duty to the shareholders. Um, sure. But, you know, from a class action standpoint, I don't see this being a class action. Uh, remember, we talked about those points. and They've got to have uh, this same issue essentially throughout the class in order for it to be certified as a class. So you'd have to show that Rite Aid systematically engaged in a, uh, a, a practice of discrimination or background, illegal background checks, illegal asset searches, things like that. And I don't really see that happening here. So even though this suit will proceed forward once she amends her pleading, I think that uh, it will never be certified as a class. But we'll see. Who knows? It's not over yet for her. Um, and it, but it may be over for a few cops in uh, Philadelphia. These cops were indicted, and they face a civil lawsuit, according to courtnews.com. A team of Philadelphia narcotics officers, many of whom have been indicted by a grand jury on racketeering conspiracy charges, <clears throat> excuse me, dragged a woman into an SUV and took her to two houses, excuse me, demanding to know where the money was, show me the money, and threatened to take away her child if she did not tell them the woman claims in court. This sounds like training day. The movie, yeah. Sherry Ann yep. Kinney, saying that the defendant, or she's, a, she's the defendant anyway, uh, was stopped at 2 p.m. on December 22nd in 2010 as she was walking to school to pick up her nephew. The police allegedly took her cell phone, which was never returned, handcuffed her, and put her into an SUV, the complaint states. The officers drove her to a house where they were met by four other officers after alleging, allegedly directing racist comments toward her and questions as well, Kinney says the officers all began screaming at her, demanding, where is the money, and other related questions to the money. The officers then took her to another house across the street and demanded to know where the money was over there. Kinney, who had committed no crime and had never been arrested before, according to her attorney, began to cry and explain that she did not live in the house and had no knowledge of the whereabouts of the money. Officers demanded to know where the money was and threatened to call the Department of Human Services and take her daughter away. She was finally booked at the police station and held for 48 hours. She's seeking punitive damages for excessive force, battery, assault, unlawful arrest, false imprisonment, unjustified search, malicious, malicious prosecution, and the kitchen sink, and also suing Philadelphia for negligent hiring and retention. Now, these cops are, some are currently incarcerated, due to these charges others were released the whole thing is is man oh man what's going on in philadelphia and is it happening everywhere else well i'm going to tell you what's going on in philadelphia and i'm just full of stories today so i you know <laughs> we have to go to philadelphia about twice a year it's not far for you is it 
No, it's about two hours. And and Philly is actually I love Philly. I think it's great. Um, but we have to go there about twice a year because my middle son has a pacemaker, and he's nine years old. It's something he's had since he was six months old. And there's mm-hmm. a very few uh, number of electrophysiologists for kids. So we go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And while we're there, we always stop and get cheesesteaks at Gino's, <laughs> and then there's Pat's. And both of these Philly <laughs> cheesesteak places are across the street. I'm not talking about stereotyping here at all, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, these places uh, are, are right across the street from each other. As a matter of fact, there's a Geico commercial. I don't know if it's, if, if it's in other parts of the country, but there's a Geico commercial where the little gecko is standing on a table on pats and facing Geno's, and he's talking about cheesesteak, um, but <laughs> really famous. So pats is known as the king of steaks, and there's a, a little plaque on the ground where Sylvester Stallone stood and had a cheesesteak when he was filming Rocky. And then Pat's is on the other side, and it's owned by, I believe it's an ex-police uh, officer. So here's what needs to happen in Philadelphia. When I go to get my cheesesteak at, at Pat's, because I'm a Pat's man, and I sit down with my family, what I don't want is I don't want beggars coming over to my table and telling me a story to guilt me into giving them money and then having them stand there while I'm trying to enjoy my cheesesteak. Here's, here's what happens. Every time I go, there's this one guy, and he comes over. Now, we've been going for maybe two and a half, three years. Every time we go, we get stuck sitting in this one spot. It's outside, and this guy walks over, and he comes over, and he says, hello, uh, you know, pleasant, very nice, and he tells me about his six-month-old daughter. My, well, this, no. this daughter of his has been six months old for three years, <laughs> right? The first time I gave him a little money just to go away because I wanted to have my cheesesteak in peace, uh, and then he, he comes back the next time. Same story, six-month-old daughter. He, uh, he, he tells me where his office is, which happens to be a newspaper dispensing stand. That's where he keeps all of his stuff. Why can't the police come and take him away from Pat's King of, King of Steaks so I can enjoy my cheesesteak? Is that too much to ask? You're going to harass somebody. They're out harassing women walking down the street yeah. looking, looking for, for drug the money. money. I'm giving the city of Philadelphia money. I want to eat my cheesesteak in peace. That's what needs to happen. That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> well, all in all, we'll see if she... Uh... She has a case or not? It'll be, uh, you know, it, 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 it was a, Seattle is the other city right now that's kind of under the uh, in Albuquerque as well, under the microscope as far as it comes to uh, police corruption. Yeah, well, you know what's what's interesting though that people have to realize. I get these calls all the time. I want to sue the state. I want to sue the police department. I used to represent regularly police departments and and municipalities through their insurance companies because. All police and municipal entities are insured, typically by something called the Joint Insurance Fund, meaning that multiple towns pay money in for defense. Sure. So I used to represent them. And there's not one police department that I came across that does not have some level of corruption or infighting or, um, you know, a bad egg. It's just – it's out there everywhere. But what people have to realize is that it is not necessarily easy to sue a municipal entity or the police. 
because they're afforded various immunities through your state's law. So, for example, if there's a police officer in New Jersey acting in um, good faith in the regular course of business and he makes a mistake, you generally are immune as that officer from prosecution. It has to be something that's uh, more than just neg- negligence. It's, it's, it's um, uh, recklessness. It's well, look, at, look at the, the, yeah. the fellow that just died in New York. Yeah. With the choke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where, you know, this is going to go. You're going to have to defeat those immunities in order to have a viable claim. And, and in the case of Philadelphia, I think this girl probably has a good shot just based upon what happened here. Um, but, you know, I get people who call here all the time. Police officer made me get out of my car during a traffic stop and I want to sue. It's not right. Um, well, there are immunities in place there. We had a case with a, with a guy who was a passenger in a car. He was pulled over for not wearing a seatbelt. When they asked him for ID, he said he didn't have any and then gave the, the officers a hard time because he said, I'm not driving. Why do I need ID? Then when the officer asked for his social security number so they could run the database, he gave them a fake number. And so the officer was, was pretty calm, but ultimately the guy started making threats, like, oh, you're going to get it, man. My girlfriend's going to go to the police. You're going to get it. So they pulled him out of the car. They asked him to get out of the car. Uh, they said, put your hands on the front of the car. And he got mad, and so he started making pointing gestures at the officer. And Bad it's call. all a video. Right. And so the officer, fearing that this is going to escalate, takes the guy down to the ground, handcuffs him, and when he takes him down to the ground, the guy hits his chin and he's got some bruises and lacerations. Long story short, the guy sues. We were defending the police officer in the department, and the immunities are so strong that that, that case had you know, nowhere to go. That was a winner for the police because they were acting reasonably under the circumstances. And so, but immunities are something people have to, to realize. You just can't go out and sue without... Um, you know, being in it for the long haul and having an attorney who's experienced in that, that arena. The other thing that's interesting is when you are going to sue a municipal entity or a police officer, most states, if not all of them, require that you serve um, a, some sort of notice of tort claim. If you're going to sue a municipal entity, generally speaking, you've got somewhere between 30 and 90 days to file, uh, not file, but serve it on the entity that you're going to sue and then, like in New Jersey, when you file a notice uh, or serve a no- notice of tort claim, uh, you can't sue them for six months to give the municipality a time to in- investigate what's gone on. So those oh, sure. are just interesting sure. points to, to know. Well, it'll be interesting to see where that one goes, because like I say, they've, the, the police officers have been indicted, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of we'll keep an eye yeah. on that one. Like I said, and straight, out of, straight out of the movies. <laughs> right. Anyone there who has listened to this show, please do something about the gentleman who interrupts my lunch Every time I go, twice a year, at Pat's King of Steaks. Please. I'll get you a free UTL coffee mug. He does not have a six-month-old child who has been six months old for three months, or three years. Maybe I should bring some baby clothes next time, right? Like six-month-old yeah, baby clothes. I got I'm you sorry, I don't up, champ. Money. Yeah. <laughs> but I was on my way to St. Vinny's. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, you know, maybe he could take a lesson from this fellow here. Forcing kids to do chores is not a federal crime. If he's got a six-month-old, should be a little older by now. Courthousenews.com telling us a man from Togo 
who forced his young relatives to clean the floors, wash the dishes, cook the food, and do the laundry. Cinderella, Cinderella. <laughs> I hope if this guy's in trouble, I'm busted as well. However, this guy often beat them for minor infractions, unfortunately. However, regardless of his behavior, he cannot be prosecuted for subjecting the children to forced labor, according to the Sixth Circuit Court. Jean-Claude Codio Toviavi, wow, that's a big name, brought four young relatives from his native Togo to live with him in Michigan. Just down the road, maybe, um, <laughs> including his younger sister and two cousins. In their new home, Toviavi required the children to cook, clean, do laundry, serve his guests, iron his clothes, and clean his car. Also occasionally made them babysit for the women he was dating. Now, he supported the children uh, by working two jobs, brought them, to, bought them sports equipment, hired a tutor, acted like a parent. However, many of his punishments did stem from his dissatisfaction with the performance at school and even created additional assignments for them to complete their homework. Again, parenting. Now, the teachers eventually suspected the children were being abused and the children were removed from the home. Uh, now, he pled guilty to visa fraud and eventually convicted of four counts of forced labor. Well, that got overturned. And the court, in their opinion, stating child abuse is a state crime, not a federal crime. Forced labor is a federal crime. But the statute obviously does not extend it to requiring one's children to do their homework, babysit on occasion, or do household chores. Sorry, kids, you're not gonna. That one's not gonna stand up in court. I mean, they did say obviously uh, the way he treated his children was reprehensible, but it wasn't forced labor when it comes to uh, making them do things around the house. So, I mean, how many times have you heard that? I'll sue you, or mom and dad yeah. are abusing me because they're making me do this. Hey, guys, it's, you've got it pretty easy. You hear that, kids? My kids are listening. When I get home, you're doing all kinds of chores. No, but you know what? We, we now have a precedent. Yeah. You know what happened in New York um, not too long ago, uh, a couple weeks ago? I think I had uh, done a video about it. There was a, a father who had, uh, I believe, spanked his son because the son was disrespecting um, some other people. I said something very disrespectful, and the father, uh, you know, employed corporal punishment and spanked the kid. And somebody who was walking by said they saw it, and they called the police, and um, this guy was arrested. Well, the New York courts ruled that you can use corporal punishment on your children so long as it's reasonable and doesn't, uh, you know, make use of excessive force. So that's a positive hmm. thing, you know, for, for people that, that don't understand. Because, look, I mean, they're kids, right? And I, I'm not, I don't hit my kids in, in, in any way. I just, I don't believe in it. For me, it's not right. But, you know, I know that um, many people my age growing up, you know, you, you were afraid your father Absolutely. would come home and, 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 you know, hit you with his belt or something. Um, my father didn't do that. But I know kids that I was friends with. That's what they, they were always concerned sure. with. Kids need some discipline. They, they need to have it. I think that kids today have become so, um, I, I don't even know, just uh, they're not afraid of authority the way that I was as a kid. Um, but, again, I mean, we're not advocating here, go beat your kid, because anyone that beats their kid should be, should be punished severely. That, when kids are involved in crimes, it makes me sick, and it's the one thing that makes me so angry, because no kid should ever be victimized in any way. And right. in, in this case here, if this guy was really, really being abusive to the kids 
and and making it like you know I was joking with the Cinderella reference, but making it like that. Well, then that guy's gone too far. There's a reasonable element that we need to look at here. What's reasonable? Is it reasonable to expect your kids to do some work around the house? And it absolutely is. And that's something that you should do. My 12 year old is a good in the court when he's. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And the court often, and the court referred to, you know, hey, you can't beat your kids, you know, right. and, but they just, you know, having them clean around the house isn't anything less than what a parent would expect a child to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just, so it, it's interesting, but, um, you know, this, the whole um, idea of government control and people telling me now what I can and can't do I think that, that that whole issue has been highlighted by the don't leave your kids unattended cases that we've been dealing with over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. You sure. know, it was so funny because over the weekend, I guess it was yesterday, we were waiting for my sister-in-law and her family to come over for um, a little barbecue. And we have a fenced-in yard with a very high fence. And it goes all the way around our yard, and it's locked on the one side, and then there's those pegs that go into the ground to keep it closed mm-hmm. on the other side. And my kids were out in the backyard playing. There's no one that can get in unless you parachute in. And my, my <laughs> wife said to me, you know, we should be careful. I don't know that we want to leave them out there because some neighbor is going to look over the fence and see the kids playing and call the police. And, you know, that's, I think, in this day and age, a realistic concern. Because yeah. what do you and do, you know? It's exactly why we we got a fence, Peter. It, it, when when we realized there were situations in our neighborhood that we weren't happy with, especially regarding aggressive pets, we spent the money and bought a fence. One neighbor wasn't happy with it. Said, "Look, I got better things to do with three thousand dollars, but unfortunately, I like my kids to play safely in the backyard, and that's where that fence you'd think would be enough of a, uh, uh, a, a, a say an incentive, but a demarcation to somebody that says, "Hey, you know what." You are taking care of your kids by putting yeah. inside a fence and letting, allowing them a safe area to play, regardless of what the rest of the public may or may not think. You know, some people, though, I think they use the um, uh, Child Protective Services as a, as a sword because you're going to get people that are, are bitter and angry, and they're going to go and they're going to call, and the next thing you know, you're going to have these people on your front doorstep investigating a claim. And and that's the stuff that's scary because you can't stop somebody from doing that, nor can you stop that investigation from occurring, even when you've done absolutely nothing wrong. We, right. we worked with a, a business client who had fired an employee, and the employee went and they called the, uh, the Department of Youth and Family Services in New Jersey on the boss that fired him and alleged that he was mistreating his kid completely wow. made up, completely bogus, yet they have to investigate that claim. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with in, in today's, today's world. Unfortunately, the penalty for uh, making the false claim should be the, the penalty for what that person would be convicted of. So, okay, you've made the false claim. You now get your children taken away, and yeah. you go to jail for five years. You sure you want to push forward to this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand protecting kids. I, I, yeah. I'm a big Absolutely. proponent of protecting kids. But at the same time, you can't have these, these people that say, all right, well, you know what? I don't, I don't like the fact that you pulled up your rose bush. I like looking at it out my window. Now I'm going to call, you know, Dyfus on you because uh, I'm mad. 
And that's what some people yeah. do. And those people, they should be beaten. That's what <laughs> should happen. If you are alleging that I'm beating my children and it's false, I should beat you. That should be permissible. I, I, I now get to beat you. <laughs> yes. Come on in my backyard and I'm going to beat you with my rubber hose. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> it may actually, you know, maybe it would <laughs> provide a little disincentive for people making false claims. Be careful with logic; it makes too much sense. You know, the one um, thing and, I do want to say, though, in, in seriousness, yeah. to, to those people that you know have ever contemplated that, doing that to somebody is so unbelievably evil and wrong. If you really believe a child is in danger, that's one thing. But if you're going to use someone's children as a sword against them because you don't like something that that has happened that is so shameful so wrong and you should be so uh punished in this next life for doing something like that it really is offensive i've represented a lot of people and i've seen that happen to them and it just is heartbreaking to see these people say i cannot believe somebody made this up about me it's just not fair and yet they're they're paying a lawyer to defend them. They have to, to worry about what if they take my kid away. So really, really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. All right, no, so go ahead. Well, we, we've been talking about this soft box as well for a few weeks, uh, and here it comes. Gay marriage arguments flooding the federal courts. Findlaw.com telling us that federal appeals courts covering nearly half of the United States We'll soon hear arguments on whether or not gay and lesbian couples have a right to marry. Part of a slew of cases putting pressure on the U.S. Supreme Court to issue a final verdict. If the appeal courts continue the unbroken eight-month streak of rulings in favor of gay marriage, that could make it easier for the nation's highest court to come down on the side of supporters. Even if one ruling goes against them in the four courts, though, taking up the issue in the coming weeks, it would create a divide that the Supreme Court would also have to consider. A three-judge panel of the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati will hear arguments from attorneys in six cases from Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee all this coming week, the most um, of any appeals courts so far. Similar arguments are set for August in the 7th District or Circuit Court in Chicago for Wisconsin and Indiana, then in September San Francisco for Idaho and Nevada, 5th in Nevada, uh, New Orleans, all to to uh, Actually, in argument on Texas ban, flurry of argument means an upcoming spat of rulings, possibly all coming this autumn, that could profoundly alter the nation's marriage laws. There are 20 legal decisions declaring why gay marriage bans are unconstitutional so far. Gay marriage is legal in 19 states and the District of Columbia. So we've been talking about this for a little bit. This is here comes the crest of the wave. Yeah, yeah, I think this is it. I really do. I think that. Um there's nothing that's going to stop it, and I think that this is probably the, uh, the the beginning of the end. I think that it'll be passed. Uh, you're going to have those people that, um, you know, those states that might still hold out, but I, I think this is, for gay rights advocates, I think this is a, a very, um, very, very uh, positive thing that's going on, and, and we've talked about it before. I don't see how this would ever stall. I think the momentum has shifted so much in favor of gay rights and gay marriage that it's it's not going to be um, you know overturned anytime soon. The next thing will be the marijuana throughout the U.S. But sure. um, you know, obviously, you can't compare the two. But you know what? Whether you are are, are pro 
gay marriage or not, I think that from a, a legal standpoint, if you just look at the constitutionality and the, the legality of it, it's very hard to say that it's illegal or that the government should have that ability to make it illegal. So No, absolutely. And, and, and why should gay people be um, not included in the right to be yeah. miserable for their entire life? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Ah, I'm just poking fun at marriage as an institution. Now you tell the uh, truth. I understand. (laughs) That's why I need that extra day on the weekend. That's right. (laughs) And that's why I want my my cheesesteak to be (laughs) stress-free. Stress-free, that's right. But you always do have to be careful. And here's something that uh, could smack of a wrongful death suit. And this is something people don't consider a lot of times when they're driving. A crash at killing one and injuring three others in Illinois. According to WAND, a 20-year-old woman from Decatur, Illinois, is dead after a single car crash. Three others were also injured. Decatur police saying that the car drove off the road, well, it was driven off the road, hit a tree, and then landed in a neighboring driveway. The driver, the victim, and another passenger were ejected from the vehicle. According to Macon County Coroner, the victim was pronounced dead at St. Mary's Hospital. A short time later, now the other ejected passenger and the driver were transported to another hospital for treatment. Now, here's the problem. The fatal accident is being investigated by the Decatur Police Department to find out whether or not speed and alcohol could have caused the crash. You know, not thinking about what you're doing is one thing, but when you're not thinking and you start killing or injuring others, that enters a whole another realm. I mean, these, this, this is, I don't say this is easy to do, but uh, not cause the problem, but get into court and, 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 and look at a wrongful death suit. Is it the right thing to do, and is it something that is going to uh, happen in this particular case? And, you know, I think you have to understand the wrongful death suit is the civil aspect of it, not the criminal aspect of it. And so whenever there is a death involved uh, primarily in, in well, let's you know, talk about autos, um, wrongful death suits are, are always the byproduct of, of um, you know, such a, an accident. And oftentimes what happens is um, the strategy is to wait, um, and you don't have to wait long because most criminal proceedings move very rapidly, but you wait till the criminal mm-hmm. proceeding is over. And you know, regardless of the outcome, you may still have a wrongful death suit. And, um, you know, so I think that, that uh, this is the expectation, a wrongful death suit. You know, I'll tell you yet another story. I told you, I'm filled with stories. It's, it's, it's story day. Everyone gather around the fire. Yes. Uncle Peter has a story again. I've got so many. <laughs> I actually saved them, but I just can't help it. They so apply. Yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, while my kids were in their protected environment running around the walled backyard, okay, um, and my, my sister-in-law came over. While I'm sitting there and we're just talking, I hear all these police sirens. And um, then I As a lawyer, your ears perk up. <laughs> I'm not one of those lawyers. Sorry, I, I, was, I, was, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> was that an ambulance? <laughs> Continue. Sorry, I apologize. I, this will be my last show. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you fix the cheesesteak problem for me. That's um, right. I, I'll be in Philadelphia next week. <laughs> on loca- we should do a live on location. From I could probably we get go. that guy to get him to come on. We could talk business talk. <laughs> How to that. maintain your children's youth forever. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, we digress completely. Your story. All right. So anyway, so I hear these 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 sirens, and then I come to find out that the farmers market, which is you know less than a mile from my house, um, there's a farmers market, and they have barricades set up, and some guy in a truck drove through the barricade, ran into all the stands, caught a woman under her under his car, and and killed her. So, oh, geez. yeah, now, this is interesting because what I've heard uh, through the grapevine is that it's possible that this was a diabetic incident and that ah. uh, the driver had diabetes. So here, here's interesting, uh, an interesting um, analysis. So if he had a diabetic incident, can he be charged with a crime? And at least in New Jersey, you could be charged with a manslaughter or you could be charged with manslaughter, um, depending upon the reasonableness of, of your actions. So, for example, in a manslaughter case, they're going to look and see how often does this guy take his sugar, how many test strips does he have, should he have known that, that this was going to be a problem, was it clearly accidental, or is there some level of culpability because he should have done something um, you know, more to, to protect people. So that would be the manslaughter element of it. But that even if they say that there's no crime here, that it's purely negligence, that opens itself up to a wrongful death suit. And all you have to be able to prove in a wrongful death suit is essentially that your, your negligent actions were so unreasonable as to cause this death. And, you know, it's, it's a relatively much easier standard to prove than the criminal element of it. Because... The criminal element, you've got to prove intent, essentially. Sure. Here, you've got to prove negligence. So I would imagine that we'll see wrongful death cases arising out of, um, of the farmer's market thing. And, uh, and, and in this crash, I think that wrongful death is the next step after the criminal prosecution. But you don't often hear about the wrongful death suits because they're not the, the juicy tidbits that, that you know, your news reporters are going to touch on. Sure. Well, let me ask you a difference between that one and this, between your example and this crash. What responsibility or what level of accountability do the passenger have? Do the passengers have for willingly or knowingly being in a vehicle at this point, or is that negated by the negligence of the driver? You know, it's it depends because if the passenger knows that you're driving with somebody who is epileptic um, and should not be driving, or somebody who has diabetes and the passenger knew that, um, you know, let, let's say, for example, the passenger's talking to the driver, and the driver says, oh, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm feeling weak, my sugar is going down too low, I need to get a piece of candy. At that point, that passenger, knowing that information, might have acted unreasonably under the circumstances and possibly be, can be contributorily negligent because ah. he or she, you know, did, did they have a duty? It comes down to the, the elements of negligence. Do you have a duty of care? Did you breach your duty of care? Were there damages? And are the damages proximately caused by your breach of duty? So you'd have to look and say, well, did the passenger have a duty of care to the general public? And, and you, you would look at that from the reasonable person standard. So would it be reasonable for someone to um, have a duty if they know that the driver is impaired? And, and I would say sure. probably yes. So they might not have the, the, the 
brunt of the liability, but some percentage of liability might be attributed to them. So, sure. This, it, uh, I, I want to call it a slippery slope, but you have to understand, yeah, where that I guess where that line stops and starts, and, and you don't think about it every in an everyday situation until ex post facto. Well, you know, that's like I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about the law in New Jersey that they had passed and then quickly changed. It was case law where if you knowingly texted someone who was driving a motor right. vehicle and they're in an accident, right. you can be responsible. And then they quickly overturned that because that puts such a, a severe burden on people at home because now you're going to open it up to say, well, now I've got to prove that you knew that the driver was actually operating the vehicle at the time you texted him. So, right. uh, you know, it, it's a very fact-specific issue. Um, and, and that's you know, what we're going to see in all these wrongful death suits, very fact-specific, uh, uh, even to the point of the driver. Did you know you were going to, or should you have known that you were having an, an issue? Should you have been driving? There are times right. where you are driving and you, know, you have a heart attack, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's, even if you kill somebody, it's not necessarily your fault. So. A diabetic situation in your knowledge of it to having seven or eight tequila shots. Yeah. You knew you did it. You knew you were going to have a problem, but you got behind your wheel anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. So. Um, out of Hollywood, HollywoodReporter.com, Lionsgate Films granted a restraining order over Expendables 3 leak. First of all, why would you want to leak Expendables 3? Second of all, <laughs> why are you going to go see it? Uh, Lionsgate can't put the genie back in the bottle, but the film company has won a temporary restraining order against the anonymous operators of various torrent sites accused of circulating the Expendables 3. The lawsuit filed last week against John Doe's 1 through 10. Lionsgate reported that in its lawsuit on July 24th, a digital copy containing high-quality reproduction of the film had been stolen and uploaded to the Internet. In a follow-up motion, Lionsgate told the judge that Expendables 3 had already been downloaded 2.1 million times, including approximately 247,000 times in the United States. To counter the Expendables 3 leak in advance of the August 10th release of the film, Lionsgate outside vendor Mark Monitor has sent about 2,700 takedown requests covering 11,000 unique host URLs. Now, the funny thing about this, Peter, is how are they ever going to recover this and or stop this? I know... I know I haven't watched it, but I know of a site that has it on there. Right. I well, saw it this morning. <laughs> you know, first thing I want to say is there should should be an, an injunction issued against Arnold Schwarzenegger being in any more films. Okay, because back in the day, I was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. I loved sure. Commando. I loved, you know, Predator. Those were really good movies. Terminator. But now, come on. I mean... <laughs> he, he's just—it's over. Give it up. Despite the limited dialogue, it was still good. Good film, but uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's um, kind of funny. They're making a, a, a an, I don't say an empire, but they're making a um, a bit of a, a business out of these expendable films. The fact that they are not expendable at the box office—they're still making money. They're making a lot of money, and they're really with a lot of washed-up people. And and this isn't to say you know, I'm not knocking their careers, but. No. So Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, nobody's into Jean-Claude Van Damme anymore. Now we've got, I think, in, in Expendables 3, you've got a Mel Gibson as, as the villain. And, you know, up until Harrison Mel Ford's Gibson, in it. Is he really? <laughs> yes. 
Well, oh know, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a, it's it's a lot of people that they're bringing back. It's a guy centered movie, but you know, to get to your question, which um, is a good one, you know, it's really tough. You can't recover. You you just can't recover the money that you would have have lost. But then you look at well, how much money did you really lose? I'm sure that this is going to be you know, in the top five in the box office, especially considering the summer that we've had for movie releases, there's been really nothing interesting. Um, sure. I, I think Transformers was one of the largest uh, movies of the summer. So I would imagine that this is going to do quite well, uh, but that goes back to the old, uh, the old problem that we've encountered since Napster with people uploading and, and downloading, uh, you know, copyright-protected materials and... Uh, leaking films. I think it's it's very difficult to prevent against leaking films. But I will ask you this question: How is it that some studios and some um, directors and and teams manage to keep things so tightly under wrap? Take for example the new Star Wars movie, which is you know you need to have CIA level clearance to be able to get anywhere near that site, uh, and then you've got <laughs> Lionsgate. So at some point, do you say, well, maybe Lionsgate didn't do such a good job? You know, maybe sure. they didn't screen employees, and maybe you had somebody who was a habitual film stealer and uploader. And, you know, I'm being facetious, but sure. you know, at some point, do you think that the studio has some responsibility in the, these these breaches? And you know, it's interesting to to explore that. Uh, no, no, no press is bad press, and. So you never know. That could have been something. I don't want to say it was planned, but um, you know, you never know what gets out there sometimes. And the Expendables three could be the runaway comedy hit of the season. That absolutely could be. But you know, you're right. You don't know if it was leaked or not. Look at you know, back in the I think it was the '90s, uh, the the Blair Witch Project, which was all oh, yeah, you know, internet advertised driven, and all the hype out of that. And I saw that movie. I couldn't understand what the heck was going on. I thought it was the dumbest movie I've ever seen. But um, <laughs> You know, all that hype, so now you've got all this this hype. You know, I think it'll be uh, a, a very uh, box office happy movie. I think there's going to be a lot of people going to see it, despite the leak. Despite oh, yeah, 2.1 million sector. people saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Despite, despite the governor. And right. even, you know, uh, this week, uh, even video games not exempt to the law. Killzone, popular game. The graphics don't live up to what Sony hyped them to be, according to a class action suit. An angry gamer filing suit with PlayStation 4 maker Sony over the resolution in Killzone Shadowfall. The game was advertised to run in 1080p, but California's Douglas Lador still has a bone to pick. According to the gamer, Sony's marketing and on-box representations turned out to be nothing more than fiction. And this is interesting because you start to get into technology. Yep. Shadowfall did indeed display in 1080p in both single-player and multiplayer, but the engine that generates the video only actually rendered each individual frame in 1080p in the single-player mode. In multiplayer mode, the developer used a few tricks to make sure the resolution stuck at, or at least appeared to stick at, the advertised level, which your, your, your screen will think it's 1080p. But Guerrilla Games' Pariah Torkin, I'm hoping his name's not really Pariah, but that looks like me, could be Pariah, explained the technique on a blog post. And this is where we get into the nuts and bolts of it. When upscaling an image from one resolution to another, maybe from 720p to 1080p, new pixels are added by stretching the image in an X and Y dimension. 
left to, left to right and top to bottom. Wrote the values of the new pixels are picked to lie in between the current values of the pixels. Gives us a bigger but slightly blurrier picture. And that's where they disagree, or at least where they think that they're gone wrong. They're selling the temporal projection, which is what Sony 1080s, the Sony 1080p claim is done with, is a technique that tracks the positions of pixels over time and predicts where they will be in the future. These history pixels are combined with freshly rendered pixels to form a higher resolution new frame, but it's not 1080p according to the purists. So the question is, can they be held liable for technology that they're promising, but truly not, or at least from what appears, not delivering allegedly? Well, you know, this is one of those rare instances where I think a class action is going to be successful. I think ultimately it would settle before it got to the certification stage or just after the certification stage. But when you're a deep pocket manufacturer like Sony and you're advertising a product to do a particular thing, um, I think that, that, you know, when you don't do it, there's fertile ground for class action. And this is one of those cases where... You would think to yourself, oh, you know, really? You're going you're gonna to file a class action over this? Are you kidding me? Because it wasn't as clear as you would like. You didn't see the blood in, in the extreme high definition. But <laughs> they are advertising something that they're not doing. And these are the types of class actions that you see that actually make it through, and there's a settlement. Now, at the end of the day, what does that do for the class? Well, first of all, the class would be open to everybody who purchased um, Killzone. And then what do you get? Well, you know what? The easiest and cheapest way to resolve a case like this, because most of these games have multiplayer online, that's one of the issues here, they'll give you access to the multiplayer for a month or two. It costs them next to nothing to do that. So this is really a viable class action. I think that this is a a, a decent class action, but I want to tell you who makes out the best in this class action because it's not going to be the plaintiff. It's not going to be the the class. What are they going to get? They're going to get something extremely limited. Here's a free download. Here's a free month's access. And that's affordable, which is good because in a class action, you always want to make sure that the defendant can sustain the damages, that there's a way for the defendant to pay out something to the class. And in this case, easy to do. Here's free access. Who makes out here? The plaintiff's attorneys. Because they're going to fill ridiculous amounts. And at the end of the day, Sony will have a bill that's, you know, extremely high for the the plaintiff's attorneys. So that's who makes out... they, they do the same thing. I don't say Sony does, but if you have a problem with your direct TV or your dish TV or your cable network, you call, you complain, what's the first thing they do? Exactly what you said. How about we give you HBO or Cinemax or Showtime for six months free to make up for our, our problem? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, that's, oh, thanks very much. You go away happy? It hasn't costed them an extra time. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so, yeah, you're right. Yep. And that's, that's the way that these will, will play out. Um, I think people have to to realize that with the exception of certain limited number of class actions that that really do have um, important implications on on, on the general public, most of these class actions are 
relatively silly. I mean, you'd look at this and you'd say this is a silly class action. I think it's going to be a viable class action for the reasons that I stated, but who really cares? You're not doing a service to the public. I mean, you could certainly say, well, I'm on a crusade to make sure that Sony um, is honest (laughs) with their advertising. But, you know, people that think they're going to file a class action and the next thing, you know, you're going to be uh, a a millionaire, not going to happen. The only people that get rich on class actions are the attorneys, not the people. And and that's why class actions aren't always uh, the best avenue if you're hoping to recover. Years ago, I was involved in a, in a, a lawsuit. It was a class action suit against the manufacturer of a DVD recorder. So this is when DVD recorders first came on the market, and you were able to transfer a VHS tape onto a DVD. And the DVD player was advertised as being able to record on Remember they had plus R and minus R discs? Yes, yeah. Looking at one right now, yes. Okay, so they were able to record on plus and minus, and the reality of it is that they were only able to record on plus and minus on a limited number of brands. The vast majority Ah. of brands did not work. So could you get a brand that would work? Yes, but the majority of them did not work. So that sort of case was a, uh, a more challenging case in the sense that what's the solution here? You either have to reproduce or reintroduce a fix to the unit itself, which is going to require a lot of money because now you either have to replace all of those or you know, do something else because giving somebody a stack of, of discs was one of the options, but you know, it, it still wasn't at that point a very affordable option because they'd have to go out and purchase the discs, and discs used to be much more money than they are right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a case that, that, that the plaintiff settled on prior to class certification. But when the plaintiff, the individual plaintiff, settles a class action, the class gets nothing because it's not even been certified. So it's just that individual plaintiff suing that defendant, and whatever the defendant pays that plaintiff, there's a settlement agreement that says, in exchange for you accepting this money, you agree not to sue us in a class action. So that's how those things play out. This one, Killzone, I think this is going to be a viable class action that will ultimately settle well before trial, maybe even before certification. But most often defense attorneys want to see if the class is going to get certified. Because if it is, then they know they're screwed, and then they'll settle. <laughs> Interesting. So. Yeah, no, and it, 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 that's probably an accurate depiction. <laughs> yep. Well, they can't they can't get away from it. And uh, also a little tidbit on the Expendables, since I know you are just chomping at the bit to see it, to give you an idea of how much this thing has grown. The original Expendables cover contained nine characters, at least in the promo shots. The new one, eighteen, including not only Mel Gibson but the toughest guy of all, Kelsey Grammer. Who wouldn't want to see a movie with Kelsey Grammer? An action movie? <laughs> Better yet, who has seen a movie with Kelsey Grammer? <laughs> well, <laughs> Frazier's back. It's great. I can't wait to see it. I, I love Frazier. It's good, but certainly not be, a movie. <laughs> they must be running out of, of, of uh, action heroes who can actually walk and move their limbs. And now they're, they're going for... Uh, Maybe maybe uh, Norm from Cheers will be in the next one. <laughs> that's, a good, 
that whole Thursday night lineup from NBC of the 80s. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, who knows? Uh, they get a shot. I think this this plot actually deals with an evil uh, hip replacement surgeon. Really? Well, I had hip replacement. <laughs> I am perfect for this role. When they move into to the Expendables floor, where they deal with the evil, uh, you know, mastermind who ruins people's cheesesteaks, let me know. <laughs> and of course, Sylvester Sloan will direct and star because it's in Philly. That's right. <laughs> Stand right on the steps where he stood when he had his first cheesesteak sandwich filming Rocky. But, you know, the more I think of it, the more I think it's a good idea to do a live broadcast the next time I'm eating my cheesesteak. <laughs> Give me a call. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna look Maybe we'll to meet that. up over there. <laughs> I think that's what we need to do. Hey, we All get, right, we get that guy. I'm sure, I'm sure the uh, order of Pats will participate. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so we went over today in time, but that's due to the fact that I had so many stories that I had to share. I just couldn't keep them in. Um, so there they are. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening live or downloading at a later date. I want to remind everybody that we do the Monday and Thursday show. This Thursday, we've got uh, best-selling New York Times best-selling author Stephen Mansfield on the show. He's going to be talking about his books um, he has uh, his latest book about uh, the search for God in Guinness. And so we look forward to Thursday with Stephen. Don't forget to check out last Thursday's episode, which was really good. Bobby missed a good one. We had um, Alan Fisher and his wife, Carolyn, who are ah, yes. professional arm wrestling champions. Alan's a 26-time world champion, and Carolyn's a five-time champion. They're also stars in the AMC show Game of Arms. And in the middle of the interview, we had a surprise call in from Andrew Cobra Rhodes, who also is a star of the show and a world-class world champion arm wrestler as well. So it was a really good show. So if you go Fun. over to, uh, yeah, go over to utlradio.com, you can listen to that episode. It's episode 71. You can also download it from iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, and then you get notification as all of these, uh, these shows are, are put up, you'll get it automatically downloaded. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel and to hit us up on social media. Let us know what news stories you'd like to hear about and any comments or feedback that, that you might have on any of the stories that we talked about today. If you've had encounters with the individual who has a uh, three-month-old daughter, uh, please let me know because perhaps we could we could join up when I go out there next time I get a cheesesteak. <laughs> Don't let that one die. Not gonna not gonna let it die. I can't. It's, it's gonna be all day now. Might even stretch it into tomorrow. So uh, maybe that's I'll right. even do a video about it. That's how that's how serious I am about this. So well, <laughs> that's all we got for today, Bob. You'll be back next Monday, and we'll do this yes, again, maybe with less stories on my part, but we'll see. I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like talking. And, uh, you know, until then, tune in Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and remember that there's power in understanding the law. <laughs>